Thank you, thank you. Beautiful song, isn't it? Well, that inspires me. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, I want to thank John Duncan for having allowed me to uh, speak today, and then also to our elders, who I presume have approved such a thing. You have approved such a thing, haven't you? Okay, great. So let me begin uh, this morning by asking you a question. Cute dog, isn't it? It's Valentine's Day, so it seems to me like a reasonable question to ask. How's your love life today? Yeah, you heard what I said. And while you're trying to uh, recover from that question, uh, let's go to the Lord and, and pray. Lord, uh, this morning I'd be so thankful if you would take control of my mind, uh, my mouth, and help me not to say anything that's untrue today. Uh, and if there's something said that you can use in people's life, Lord, I pray that you would do it. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but I'm not a big fan of winter, like some of you hardier and younger souls are. Uh, for me, I look forward to March. Uh, when I see for the first time that wild plum tree that starts blooming on Cavalin Canyon. You know what I'm talking about? It's not that, but it's sure beautiful, isn't it? That's my first indication to me that spring is on its way. Because as, as I get older, I get colder. My hands, my feet, the whole deal. And on top of that, various other afflictions seem to attack me as well. Now I can get over most of those pretty much by April. But there's another affliction that I frequently get, to be honest with you, and I have found that it can come upon me not only in winter, but at any time of the year. And I've been told that others get this affliction as well. And one of the very worst things about it is when you have it, you seldom even know it. It comes upon me usually without even a warning. When someone says to me, how you doing, Jim? Usually I'll respond with, I'm doing just fine. Thanks, everything's okay. And because that affliction is so terribly contagious, I'm hoping I don't do anything to spread it amongst any of you today. Or on the other hand, some of you may be afflicted this morning, so I'm going to be real careful not to get any worse just being around you. You might be thinking, well, I feel pretty good. At least I did when I came in this morning. But when I describe the symptoms of this thing I'm talking about, you might see you're not doing nearly as well as you thought you were. How's that for an encouraging word, huh? Anybody glad they came this morning? And here's another thing. This affliction doesn't always pass on in a few days or in a week or two. Fact is, I've known folks to be infected by this thing for years. You say, is it serious? Oh, you bet it's serious. Uh, you say, is it life-threatening? Uh, no, it's not, and that's what makes it so serious. Because if it were life-threatening, most of us would do something about it we would be moved to action. But this affliction is so subtle, it is so deceptive, and it comes upon us so gradually, so quietly, that we have it before we even can do much about it. Okay, Jim, I'll bite. What are you talking about? Well, the Bible makes mention of it specifically, and it alludes to it in several other places. For example, in Romans, we're told, to never be lacking in zeal, to 
to, uh, to, to keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Again, in Revelation, the second chapter, Jesus is speaking to a church in the first century who he says has lost its first love. Later on, in the third chapter, again, Jesus mentions another church that has become lukewarm. He says to them he'd rather that they be cold or hot. Maybe he meant the church was filled with people who were merely religious and not truly born-again believers, not true followers of Christ. But more likely, Jesus was talking about a church where the people were truly converted, but they had lost their fervency for God. They had lost their passion for the things of God. They had grown lukewarm. Yet according to the passage, it says, they thought they were doing just fine. Now someone might say, well, isn't God's love for us absolutely unconditional? Doesn't he accept us with no qualifications other than believing in his death, burial, and resurrection? Isn't that the gospel? Well, yes, that's the gospel, but that's not the point. The point is this. If you're a parent, and, you've, uh, and even though you may love your children unconditionally, has there ever been a time when you wish they would be more responsible, uh, more loving, perhaps more obedient, maybe more diligent? Well, of course you have. And why is that? Simple, because you love them and you want the very best for them. And you realize they are really, in the long run, just hurting themselves. And that's why you're concerned. So when we're afflicted with this thing that Jesus calls lukewarm, we're not hurting him. No, he's doing just fine. He's totally self-sufficient. And thankfully, if we're followers of Christ, our place in eternity is not in jeopardy. But in reality, we're hurting ourselves, and God doesn't want that for his children. So let's talk about that. First of all, I want to bring some perspective to it. Do you prefer a hot cup of coffee, or do you ask for one that's lukewarm? Fill mine up, but make sure it's lukewarm. Huh? We drink hot tea. We drink iced tea. But lukewarm tea? Not on purpose, we don't. Come on over after church. I'm going to be serving a nice bowl of lukewarm soup. Wow, great, I'll be right over. So today, I'm going to try to answer three questions when we've grown lukewarm towards the things of God. How do we know it? How'd that get on there? Well, there it is. How do we know it? How do we get it? And how do we get over it? You know, this lukewarm affliction of which I speak, it is so deceitful, and it is so very treacherous. I, I tell you the truth, I, I can't remember ever when I've heard someone say, would you please pray for me? I'm lukewarm. Huh? Have you? Because you see, folks who are lukewarm do not totally abandon what they say they believe. No, no, they still attend church. They look okay, at least on the outside. It's just that they're no longer hot or cold for the things of God. They're no longer hot to see sinners converted. They're no longer hot for holiness in their lives. They're not even hot enough to make the devil mad. They, they're neither hot nor cold. Because you see, when our bodies are cold, we'll do something about it. We'll turn up the thermostat. Uh, we'll put on a jacket or a coat. I mean, who wants to be cold? We're uncomfortable when we're cold. You don't have to be a genius to come in out of the cold. But when we're talking about the spiritual part of our being, lukewarm really doesn't seem that bad. 
everything is just fine. I mean, it's so agreeable to our human nature, so, so, so comfortable that it's difficult to get ourselves out of it. So are there some warning signs of this affliction? Are there? Are there symptoms that I need to be aware of that would help me? Well, that just happens to be point number one. Let's hope it comes up. Didn't. Okay, that's all right. Point number one, how do I know that I have developed a lukewarm attitude towards the things of God? How do I know it? Well, if you're not doing anything for the next 20 minutes or so, I want to invite you to come along with me as I do a little spiritual inventory of myself, a self-examination, if you will. This is not going to be some morbid introspection, uh, but it's just going to be an evaluation of where I am in my walk with the one I claim to be my Lord and Savior. So I'm going to begin with the basics this morning, because to me this seems like a good starting place. So first of all, has my reading of God's Word become more of a duty than a delight? Am I even reading His Word at all, other than a few little snippets here and there? Do I have any kind of a disciplined approach to reading and to studying the Word of God? Now, I know there was a time in my life a number of years ago when I could not wait to see what God had to say to me. In Psalm 19, King David said this about the words of God. He said, they are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. Now, does that describe really the way I think and feel about the scriptures? Or does something else always seem to come up to keep me from reading it? Something that if I'm going to be really honest with myself, I must really consider to be more important. Well, I'm going to have to seriously give that a little thought as I evaluate my spiritual temperature, so I think I'm going to move on. That's a bit too convicting. Here's, here's another one. How about my prayer life? That's a basic of the Christian life, isn't it? Sure, sure I pray, but is it something I cherish? Is it something that I treasure, these times with God? Or is it more of a little quickie sentence or two, usually focused on my three favorite subjects, me, my, and mine. Not much enjoyment in just being with him. Not really expecting to hear something from him. Not just rattling off a few selfish requests. Not treating God like a genie in a bottle. Not rushing to get at something else that deep down inside I think has to be more worthy of my time. But instead, taking time out of my day to be alone with my Heavenly Father. Well, once again i got to think about this. I might need to review my prayer life a little bit and do something about it. Here's another thought as I examine and evaluate whether I've fallen into this lukewarm condition. Has it been a while since I've actually sat face-to-face -face with someone and shared the gospel, where I've actually shared the good news of the grace of God with anyone? Now, you know, when I was a new believer, I had this enthusiasm without very much knowledge. But now I have the knowledge, and I seem to have lost my enthusiasm. Now something tells me there's something wrong with that. When I was a new follower of Christ years ago, I could claim ignorance. I mean, I could claim, I could say I, I, was, I was afraid. But now I'm afraid something worse has occurred. 
It's called apathy. It's called indifference. And I know that that's a sure sign of being lukewarm. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not sure I can handle much more of this inventory thing. Uh, but at least I am identifying there are some symptoms. And I, and I remember someone said years ago, a problem identified is half solved. Maybe you've heard the same. So I'm going to remind myself right now that all I'm attempting to do at this point is merely to identify. So I'm going to move on. There are certainly enough of the symptoms, and it would appear to me as a person who has an obvious grasp, uh, uh, has a grasp of the obvious, that I might be lukewarm. So I, I think I might be experiencing a coolness towards the things of God. But how did this happen? What caused it? Was it something that I've done or something I haven't done? Did this occur overnight? What happened? Well, years ago, I read about the old Puritans and what they did at least once a year. They took a spiritual inventory and they asked some very specific questions of themselves. So that's what I'm going to do. And now I don't intend to dig up stuff that I've forgotten uh, or that's been forgiven, not only by me, but more importantly, by God. But these questions will help me to pinpoint. They will help me to focus on a specific area of sin in my life. And so I need to get serious about this. Because you see, this lukewarm thing, it's not an affliction that goes away easily without a fight, without a struggle. And that's because it may have been around for some time in my life. And frankly, I've become quite comfortable with it. And, and it's made itself quite at home with me. It's quite comfortable with me as well. So I have to expose this intruder. I'm going to have to declare war on him. So that's going to be point number two, if you're taking notes. Why am I lukewarm? What has caused this affliction? How did I get it? Well, I'm going to invite you to join with me as I ask some questions of myself, which are going to help me to measure my spiritual temperature, and my first question will be this. Is there anyone against whom I hold a grudge? Is there anyone who I have not forgiven in my life? Are there any misunderstandings that I am just unwilling to forget? Is there a person against whom I harbor bitterness or resentment or jealousy? Does someone immediately come to my mind? Here's number two. Is there anyone I dislike to hear praised and well spoken of? In other words, do I allow anything to justify that wrong attitude towards this person? Another one. Do I talk much of what I have done rather than what Christ has done? Are my statements in conversation mostly about me and mine? Well, let's move on. Uh, number four, are my feelings easily hurt? Am I overly sensitive to the remarks of others? Here's number five. Do I complain? Do I find fault? Do I have a critical attitude towards any person or anything? Would I be described by those closest to me as being irritable and cranky. And by the way, no elbows in the ribs of your neighbor. We don't want any injuries inflicted here at Gateway. Here's number six. 
Am I easily moved to being impatient with others? Does that kind of describe me? If it isn't my way, man, it's not the way. How about this? Am I spending too much time watching or reading things that do not edify my soul? Do I find it necessary to seek my, my satisfaction from any questionable source or activity? Now, you might remember, I'm asking me these questions, not you. I wouldn't have the audacity to do that. And besides, I have this need to be loved and accepted on Valentine's Day. Tomorrow, I don't care, but today I do. Here's number eight. Nobody has this problem. Do I worry? Am I taken up with the cares of this life? Is my walk with the Lord based more upon my feelings than on the facts of God's Word? Here's another one. Ooh. Do I have a tendency to gossip? Do I speak unkindly of people when they're not present? And then here's the last question that I'm going to ask myself, and it can't come soon enough. Do I ever shade the truth, exaggerate, lie, often to make myself look better than I know I really am? Well, I got more, but enough is enough, amen? And that's the very point. I've got to get tough with this lukewarm thing if I'm serious about getting well. Because if, if any of those questions spoke to my heart, and they did, then they could be the very thing that has turned my relationship from being hot for the things of God into this person who has every symptom of being lukewarm. Now, I'm not sure if you might have noticed on this, but with all those questions that I ask myself, not even one hinted at adultery, fornication, drunkenness, drug addiction, outbursts of anger, hostility, because each of those questions dealt with my secret sins. Those sins of the heart, the ones in one way or the other I commit, and some of them more frequently than I care to admit. So what are these questions intended to do? What's the purpose of it? What should be the result of this little self-inventory that I just took? Well, there are very often three responses that people have. Here's the first one. So what's the big deal? I mean, nobody is perfect. Uh, God loves me just the way I am. I know that. Sure, I've got some weaknesses, but who doesn't? And not only that, but I'm sure not as bad as some people I know, and a few of them are sitting right in this auditorium this morning. And you know, everything I just said is probably true. But if that just happens to be my response, if that happens to be my attitude, I'm afraid this affliction may have more of a hold on me than I first thought. So maybe it's time for me to go to God and ask Him to truly search my heart and do His work in me. And then here's another response, a second one. I feel ashamed and awful about myself. I'm no more than a worm disguised as a human being. I'm disgusted. I'm discouraged. What's the use of even trying? I'm wretched. I'm wicked. I'll never measure up to what I should be. And incidentally, that is a common response to our continued failure in trying to live a life of good behavior, trying to live up to a standard that we think God requires of us. Here's the third one, third response. Now, here's the one that used to describe me. 
because I'm fairly independent, I'm fairly confident, at least at times, I might say something to this effect. Some of these questions really hit close to home. Therefore, I've got to do something about it. I've got to get better. I say, so far, so good. But now listen to my solution. Listen to this. So tomorrow, I'm going to resolve to put some real effort into improving myself. I know I can do it. So starting tomorrow, on Monday, I'm going to start reading three chapters of the Bible a day. I'm going to pray for 30 minutes. I'm going to give up this practice and that habit and become a better man. Anybody recognize that solution? Well, let's talk about that. Because you see, what these questions I ask myself what they're intended to do are to stir my heart and bring conviction by means of the Holy Spirit. And because I'm a believer, that's what's happened. And sure, there's shame and guilt involved, of course, but that's okay. As a matter of fact, that's good. You know what that proves? That proves you've got a conscience and will want to do something about it. Well, that too is okay. But here's the key, and it's the third point in the question that I ask myself. How do I get over it? How do I get over it? How do I get over this lukewarm attitude towards the things of God? I'm now convinced I have a problem. So now what? Well, before I give you what I think is a reasonable and a biblical solution, I want to share this little illustration with you, which I think will help. You can label this if you want free advice from Jim for Valentine's Day. What should you do when your love grows lukewarm for your spouse or whomever it is that you love very deeply. And by the way, if you're married, hopefully that's your husband or wife. Well, the solution is not really that complicated. Listen now. You go back to the basics. You might begin by reflecting upon all the wonderful experiences that you've had together in the past. You recall the trials that you've come through together, and you remind yourself of all the sweet acts of kindness that your beloved has done for you in the past to express their love for you. And when you do this, it will will bring to your mind just how much you love this person, which will probably cause you to ask their forgiveness for having allowed other things to have taken precedence, have have taken priority in your relationship. And since all of us know words are cheap, you now begin doing some special things together. Maybe it's a quiet evening, just the two of you, no interruptions, uh, maybe a little candlelight dinner with, with soft music playing in the background. Maybe you begin by taking walks together. You go on a picnic. You go to a special cafe uh, that, for breakfast or, or whatever, whatever it is that you might have done in the past or that are coming up with right now as I'm talking. In other words, in other words, you spend time talking and listening and being with each other. See, no big deal. No big money is involved. And if you're a guy, maybe you buy your loved one a flower or two. You don't want to overdo it. You tell them how much you love them. You tell them how much you love them. You tell tell them how much you couldn't live without them. Now, what does that do besides raise suspicions? Well, I would imagine, I would imagine, just making a guess now, it would begin to renew and rebuild and refresh and restore the intimacy between the two of you, wouldn't it? Of course it would. So, how do I apply this now to what we're talking about? My Heavenly Father. How do I overcome my lukewarm relationship with him. Well, now here's the way I see it. 
First of all, I should respond by hating my sin, and I turn from it. And then I run to Jesus, and I cry out for his mercy, much like the prodigal son did uh, with his father. And, and then by faith, I'm going to trust in the power of Christ to change me. Now listen, how am I going to do that? Well, here's a good start. I'm going to spend time with my Heavenly Father. I'm going to talk to Him. I'm going to confess uh, to Him that I've grown lukewarm in my relationship with Him. I will share my struggles. I will share my sins with Him. And I'll ask Him to strengthen me and to renew a fresh spirit within me. And then I'm going to take some time reflecting back when I, was first, when I first became a follower of Christ. I'm going to recall the joy and the exhilaration that I felt, having known that my sins were forgiven. And I'm going to recall all that God has done for me in the last number of years. And I will remind myself, being a follower of Christ, that I am deeply loved, completely forgiven, fully pleasing, totally accepted, and complete in Christ. You say, well, what are you doing here? Well, I tell you what I'm doing. What I'm basically doing is I'm preaching the gospel to myself. I'm recalling that in Christ, I am covered by his blood and his righteousness. And as far as God is concerned, he looks at me as though I have never sinned. Amen? You talk about good news, my friends. That's the best good news I've ever heard. Now, and I would expect that kind of remembrance just might give me an over sense of gratitude, which in turn will cause my joy to overflow. And this is what is going to cause me to want to spend time with God. This is what gives me a desire to read His Word, and to hunger, and to thirst, and to know Him better, and the willingness to hate and to forsake my sins. See, this is the motivation that comes from within. It's not dependent on some outside source. It comes from the Holy Spirit of God. And that just happens to be the way God receives all of the glory. Because it's all Him. You remember? That's why without faith, it's what? Impossible to please God. Isn't that right? So what now? So what do I do? Just sit back and wait on God to change me? You know, let go and let God. That's what I used to think after I gave up on this I-can-do-it-by-myself thing. I went from one extreme to the other in my life. That's the way I, that's the way I kind of uh, function in the past. If things, if things were going to change in my life, it was all my responsibility. Well, that might sound good, but frankly, anyone who's tried that knows from experience it doesn't work. It's my responsibility to do something. If I have a treadmill and a set of weights at home, these pieces of equipment are instruments of physical fitness. But they won't accomplish their purpose if what? If I don't use them. Isn't that right? Well, in the same identical way, the Holy Spirit's instruments of grace will not accomplish their purpose if I don't take advantage of them. I must exercise some responsibility. And that responsibility might be for me to get out of bed a little earlier in the morning, at a reasonable hour perhaps, and spend time with my Heavenly Father. Open His Word. Uh, read with some sense of purpose and organization. 
This past week, I was counting how many chapters there are in the four Gospels. There are 89. I could read a chapter a day, and in three months, I've covered Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, it takes approximately eight minutes a day to do that. I timed it. There are 1,440 minutes in one day. Wow, I'm going to take eight minutes to read the scriptures. We've got to start. We've got to start by crawling. An hour a week, I can finish the entire New Testament in less than 10 months. So yes, yes, I'm going to have to exercise some discipline. And since my mind needs organization, and the older I get, my memory is failing, so I have to do some things. I'm going to have a list of folks with, for whom I pray. Some of them every day, some every few days. But I'm going to have a list. I'm going to do it. So yes, I have to exercise some discipline. But it's not a religious discipline that some might call a legalistic approach to the Christian life. Because if anyone that knows me knows I hate legalism as much as anybody in here. But I'm talking about something different. I am talking about a relational discipline. Think about this. Here's a little homey illustration. When I became a husband, guess what? I came home at night to be with my wife. That's right. I didn't want to stay out with the guys anymore. I didn't occupy my time with other people and other distractions. I came home. I wanted to be with my wife. And after 41 years, thank God I still do. But that's not legalism, my friend. That's called love, see? And so it is with my Heavenly Father. Listen, I want to spend time with Him. I want to have an intimate relationship with Him. And in order to do this, I've got to expend time. I have to expend some energy, and yes, even effort. And that's what I would call a spiritual discipline, or a relational discipline motivated by love. See the difference? Not, not resolutions to do better, not self-determination, not strong resolve, and all the other stuff that doesn't work, at least not for very long. Because as long as I think I can do this Christian thing by myself, then there's no reason for the Holy Spirit to do anything. You just go ahead, Jim, waste your time. I have all the experience of that. As a matter of fact, that describes over half of my Christian life and the Lord saved me 42 years ago. I was going to do this thing my way if it killed me. And I'll tell you the truth, it almost did. See? But I want to have an intimate walk with my God. I want to hunger and thirst for Him. I don't want to be satisfied with just getting by. Do you? Of course not. And God doesn't want that for us either. He knows what's good for us. We've got to get this in our head. He knows what's best for us. He knows what will bring meaning and purpose to our lives. He knows about the gifts that He's given each one of us. And He knows how best we can glorify Him using those gifts. And He tells us over and over and over that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. His love is unconditional. That means He doesn't base His acceptance or His approval or His or his affection upon our behavior. That issue, thankfully, was taken care of 2,000 years ago on the cross. And the more time, the more time that I spend meditating on that, thinking about that, thanking him for that, the sooner I believe that I'm going to recover from my lukewarm condition and reestablish, reestablish that close, intimate walk 
with the lover of my soul, the Lord Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory, the honor, and the praise forever. Amen? Amen. So let me ask you once again how we started this thing. How is your love life on this Valentine's Day? Would you say, I sure, I love God. But I'll be honest, it's certainly not fervently. It's certainly not passionately. Not like it was at one time in my life. And to be honest with myself, I've slacked off a bit. My relationship with Jesus has become a bit stale. It's become, just like you say, a bit lukewarm. I've taken it much for granted. I've allowed some apathy and indifference to creep into my life and to get a foothold of sorts. Other things have crowded out my intimacy with God. And some of those reasons may have been partially reviewed uh, or uh, partially revealed in those questions that you put up on the screen. And Jim, I think the Lord, I think the Lord might be speaking to me. And I thank God for His grace, if that's the case. Uh, so, so maybe, maybe this morning as we conclude, without embarrassing anyone, if you'd like to talk with one of our elders this morning and have them pray for you, uh, I know they'll take as long as they need to to visit with you. Uh, or for those who are more reserved, uh, which would describe me, if you're a little more reserved in that area, of that personal matter, uh, come up afterwards if you want. Speak with one of the elders. Uh, speak with me. And, uh, and I'll be totally honest with you. I'll be totally transparent with you this morning. You might be surprised to know that they and I probably have the same struggle that you have. Amen? So let's, let's pray, and I don't know what the procedure is now, but we're going to do something. But come on up and, and uh, visit with us if you want, or to speak with somebody afterwards. So Father, uh, <clears throat> uh, thank you for uh, what you brought to our minds this morning, uh, and you brought to our attention. And so I'm going to ask you, Lord, to please uh, work in our hearts this morning. Uh, whatever you do, Lord, we don't want to leave here exactly the same way we came in, if that's possible. Uh, if there's some area in our lives that we kind of put our finger on here, or that you put your finger on regarding our behavior, our life, uh, please help us to confess it now. Uh, no, we don't have to come up front. There's none of this. That's not necessary. We only have to have someone pray for us. We can take care of business right now. So, Lord, uh, just for about 10 seconds, uh, we all hate silence for 10 seconds, but I'm going to do my best not to say anything, but just 10 seconds as we, as we bow before you and just, uh, just visit with you uh, personally and privately. Lord, we thank you now for uh, what you've done in our hearts, and uh, we love you, we praise your name, and... Uh, Thank you the fact that Jesus Christ paid it all. It's been said earlier today. He's paid it all. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank Lord, you. I come.